0: Show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and for today, episode 13, we dive into the scary depths of pay-per-view, specifically 1995, with the WWF's In Your House, Great White North, going up against WCW's infamous Halloween Havoc, 1995. For those of you that have been keeping up with the show and the timeline, there'll be no need to run down the state of the championships and the feuds at the moment, because we're caught pretty well up with them. As far as the buy rates go, Great White North drew a pretty measly 0.4, and Halloween Havoc, blessed with the star power of Hulk Hogan, outdrew that with a 0.6. And for this week, before we flip the coin, we're going to go to a new segment debuting called Paper Review, thanks to Carl on Twitter. And what we're going to do is read out some brief thoughts of some of the listeners and what they thought about the shows coming up. Mark writes in and says, I'd take the sumo monster truck match over a sumo versus king match any day of the week. Obviously referencing Mabel and Yokozuna. I don't know what you're talking about. I thought that was going to be a classic. Richie writes in and says, Hogan attempts to murder the giant, but doesn't job to the law. Fair point. Carl says Great White North was the first pay-per-view that clicks started to throw their weight around and Havoc 95 will always be the night that Hogan got spit-roasted. More on that later. Carl also chimes in with also Goldust had the most ineffective, boring debut match ever. Ever's a long time, but you might be right. And last but not least, the famous Martin Dixon writes us in. You might know him as the foreign correspondent on New Blood Risings podcast. I prefer to refer to him as the classy member. And he says to us, Havoc 95 is WCW realising it can do whatever it wants with billionaire Ted's credit card and its monster trucks and Yeti's. Very good. So that will do it for the tweets this week. If you'd like to send in some thoughts on future shows, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter. Or we do now have a Facebook page as well. As I said on Twitter the other day, there's not a lot happening over there yet. It's pretty much just me and Carl hanging out. But if you'd like to come and join the community on Facebook, look us up. It's Rory's Nitro Podcast. Um, Feel free to get in touch on Twitter as well. And we'll get your thoughts read out on the future shows. But without any further ado, I think it's time we have flipped the coin, we are going to the great white north of Canada first, let's head over there now. White North takes place in the Winnipeg Arena in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in front of a crowd of 10,339. Before we can get underway and get any real action, uh, the entrance video takes us straight to Gorilla Monsoon making this announcement.
1: Due to the severity of Shawn Michaels' concussion, I am not allowing Shawn Michaels to compete here tonight. However, there will be an intercontinental title defense here tonight. I have asked Shawn Michaels to publicly forfeit the Intercontinental belt to me tonight right in the ring at which time I will take it and present it to Dean Douglas making him the new Intercontinental Champion with all the rights and privileges of that title. However, Dean Douglas will have to defend that title Right here tonight, against Razor Ramon. Obviously, this is one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make in my entire career.
0: Now, Stridex Pads presents the Dick Move of the Week. Yes, that's right. Shawn Michaels losing the title without actually jobbing to anyone earns him the Dick Move of the Week. Um, the announcement there from Gorilla Monsoon saying that Dean Douglas is going to be handed it, then defend it, rather than actually win it. Um, Shawn Michaels became notorious for not dropping belts or not laying down to drop belts for anybody. Um, and this was pretty much the start of that run. Poor form, really, from Shawn Especially when you consider on the next night's Raw, he would be telling the world that he would be ready to go by Survivor Series Just one month after this, so really no excuse not to drop the title whatsoever in my opinion But anyway, without any further ado, we do get into the show And we have a commentary team of Vince McMahon, Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross So pretty excited about the three-man booth there Um, And we get a faint sort of sounding introduction from vince it's really poor audio here to start and it does eventually cut in as he's running through the introduction from there we go straight into our opening contest of the evening make a difference fatu up against the aristocrat hunter hurst helmsley during the introductions vince mcmahon tells us uh, about fatu Talk about a man that can make a difference. Yes, I believe that was the gimmick, Vince. Um, and I noticed on his way down to the ring that Fatu is sporting a nice BSK beanie. Um, for those of you not aware, that was the backstage group with himself, The Undertaker, Yokozuna, Paul Bear, and a few others, I believe, known as the Bone Street Crew. A uh, little bit of a rival faction to the click in some sense. Triple H is in his very early blue blood gimmick here, and he does look like a bit of a tool. It didn't last too long, thankfully. Fatu gets on the attack early with Triple H still in his full attire, hits a backdrop and a 10-punch, um, and then H comes out the corner with a bit of a flare-flop and gets outside to try and undress. Fatu follows him to the outside for a little bit of brawling before sending him back in. Um, he no-sells some heads to the buckles, Fatou, that is, before Triple H manages to send him neck-first between the ropes in a hangman-style move, similar to what you'd see Mick Foley do. Looks really sick and a bit unexpected for me in 1995. Triple H then goes on the offense with a fist drop a pile drop uh, driver sorry and a european uppercut before pounding away he then hits a neck breaker and we're told that triple h is undefeated so far in the wwf he hits a big knee to the ribs as well and Jerry Lawler tells us on commentary that Fatu's house is the only one I've seen where the cockroaches have names. Fair enough. Triple H applies a bit of a sloppy chin lock, and that allows Vince to start talking about his boy toy on commentary. And he tells us, um, perhaps Sean asked to forfeit the title because he is a stand-up son of a gun. Uh, Sean probably did ask to forfeit the title, but it's not because he's a stand-up son of a gun. Triple H nails a clothesline which Fatou sells with a huge Rikishi bump from the future Rikishi. That garnish Triple H a two count. Uh, Fatu gets a roll-up on Triple H and he gets a two count of his own before the pedigree is reversed to in, into a backdrop, and Fatu no sells a DDT, comes up straight back up off the ground, hits a super kick, and puts Triple H in the third backdrop of the match. So a little bit repetitive on that one, before hitting a backbreaker and a second rope headbutt for a two count. Fatou then hits sort of a diamond cutter manoeuvre before missing a splash off the top rope, allowing Triple H to hit the pedigree for the 1-2-3 in a decent opener between two guys that would go on to bigger and better things. Jerry Lawler then interviews Triple H at ringside with a dead-on diesel look-alike stood behind him in the crowd, and I didn't know Triple H put on a mock English accent at this point in time, so that was interesting for me to find out, and he was also stood with the William Regal hand behind his back pose from WCW. Before the interview gets into anything really detailed, Henry Godwin comes out, uh, Triple H uses Lawler as a human shield to avoid being slopped, and legs it up the aisle. We go backstage where Doc Hendricks is interviewing the British Bulldog and Jim Cornette, recapping the angle where they got the win on Diesel and beat up the babyfaces a few weeks back, and just basically hyping the title match. There was nothing special here. Jim Cornette talked the mile a minute, and the British Bulldog was always cool. We then go to our second match of the night, which is a tag team championship match. The champion, Smoking Guns, defending up against Razor Ramon and the One Two Three Kid. The Guns come out, and then we head backstage for a quick promo between Razor and the Kid, who are in nice shiny matching purple outfits. Nothing much here, other than the fact that they're going for the belts. Nothing of note. And this is the first of two Razor Ramon title matches of the night, because he will, of course, be taking on Dean Douglas for his newly inherited Intercontinental title later on. When Razor and the Kid do come out, they offer hands to the Guns, but fake them out and don't actually shake hands and we get the match started with the 123kid and Billy Gunn, not only future DX members but also the King of the Ring 1999 final, getting a good preview here. Billy Gun goes up for a leapfrog, and the 1-2-3 kid sort of roly-poly's underneath it in a cool little spot. And then Billy hits an arm drag and tags in Bart. The crowd begin chanting for Razor, so the kid Julia ob- obliges and tags him in. Huge Razor Ramon chance here, He was really over. And Razor goes to work with some punches on Bart. He Irish whips Bart to the, to the ropes, and the kid drops the top rope, sending Bart over. Some subtle heel tactics coming from the kid here. Um, his heel turns not too far in the future, I believe. Razor stays in control when Bart's back in the ring and he tags in the kid who goes to work with some of his really cool looking kicks Always like the 1-2-3 kids kicks And he nails Billy Gunn while he's still on the apron, some more heel tactics coming in He hits his rapid fire leg drops to Bart Gunn, tags him Razor who hits him with the SOS The kid then gets in the ring and Razor picks him up for an SOS Throwing him into Bart Gunn which was a little bit of a weird spot And here there's lots of tags in and out from both teams as the match picks up pace pretty quickly We see that Dean Douglas is watching backstage as well, taking notes on Razor. And when Bart makes a hot tag to Billy Gunn, he gets in, puts drop kicks on both Razor and the kid, um, backdrops as well, and a huge elbow, which allows Vince to get in his first, he got him, he got him, oh no he didn't, of the night. Bart then comes back in, hits a number of backbreakers on the kid, and Razor makes a save on the pin. And the Gunns hit a cool tandem double team offense with a delayed vertical suplex into a drop kick. In a weird move for the wrestling logic of the show, both men are down and then begin to crawl for the tags. And with referees distracted, both of the partners get to take turns getting in and rolling one onto the other, despite the fact that they'd already been crawling. They do lay there for a two count, which is a little bit weird. Anyway, this sequence ends with Razor managing to get in the ring and hit the Razor's edge on Billy Gunn. And rather than let him pin him and get us the tag team titles, the 1-2-3 kid demands a tag. Idiot. He comes in, just attempts to pin Billy Gunn and get all the glory, and Billy turns it into a crucifix, getting the 1-2-3. Uh, the guns retain the titles, and the 1-2-3 kid goes into a bit of a tantrum. He then nails both of the guns with heel kicks and some more heel, uh, heel tactics. There you go, pun intended. Or not, you can believe whichever way you like before Razor takes the kid out of the ring and sort of gets him to the back. Um, they've still not had the, the breakup and the split here, but it's coming. As a little breather here, we then go to the aisle where Doc Hendricks is trying to shill us some more Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels cutouts, telling us how great it would be to have them watching over you in your bedroom. I don't think that'd wash in this day and age. And of course, he does tell us that the now becoming infamous WWF classic tape will come free of charge. Someone has to get me this tape. I'm never going to stop asking until I've got it. Anyway, when we come back to the ring, it's time for Marty Jannetty to come out. Who comes out to a good pop on his return to the federation? Not sure what number of returns we're up to, but he he was well supported here by the crowd, and he will be facing the debuting, or as Vince tells us, the premiering, Gold Dust.
2: To be meeting a most unusual individual to say the least. Matter of fact, standing by, we have comments recorded earlier on. I believe. From the most bizarre individual in the history of the WWF Gold
3: The This is upon us, Mr. It's Rocker. The Hollywood premiere that the whole world has been anticipating. Tonight, it will be lights. Cameras. Ooh, so much action. Hmm. Mr. DeMille. I'm ready for my close-up. Remember the name.
2: Goldust. Uh, We said he was bizarre, and finally, ladies and gentlemen, we are moments away from seeing the bizarre Goldust in action. And without further ado, this moment from Hollywood, California. Weighing 260 pounds, Give me the Dust. And uh, look at this. This, ladies and gentlemen, is premier. This is like being at the Academy Awards, big man. Or the opening of a big movie. Look at this. Feet to get a glimpse of this most bizarre individual. That's paparazzi, McMahon! You wouldn't know anything about that. Those are photographers that follow big stars like gold dust around. There are plenty of uh, photographers, that's for sure. I don't think I've ever seen anyone with this kind of coverage. I guess you've never seen me walk into an arena before, huh? Uh, generally yes, but it's the arena's empty Whoop. when we arrive. But here, this is a little different. Look at this. One of the most anticipated premieres, if you it ever in all of the World Wrestling Federation. I've been all over Oklahoma two or three times, never saw anybody like <laughs> that. Guess not.
0: there, the crowd's not really sure what to make of Goldust just yet. Um, they will get some feelings on him pretty quickly though. Um, when the action gets underway, Goldust tries to jump Marty Jannetty early, but Marty does fire back and take over control. JR tells us that Marty's been an intercontinental champion, a tag team champion, but his personal demons have hurt his career. There's an understatement, JR, but um, it was a little bit different to hear that thing, kind of thing on commentary at this point as well. Interesting. Goldust does a lot of stalling early on, there's not a lot of action, he does manage to get a cradle for a 2 count and a big right hand and then drops to the ground to hit an uppercut on Marty Ginetti as well in his trademark spot. When Marty fires back, he hits Arakamrana Rana, and they trade pushes and punches uh, before Goldberg, uh, Goldberg, Goldust does his big flip off the clothesline. Goldust has got really slow offense, really sort of playing up the histrionics, and he puts on a chin lock uh, before hitting a backdrop and going back to some sort of slowdown tactics. It's pretty dull, to be honest. In fact, I'm a few minutes in here and my note actually reads this is slower than Mick Foley jogging down the ramp. So obviously I wasn't too enamored when watching this. As then Goldust throws Marty Gennetti into the post before putting him back into another chin lock. As they sit there in the rest hold, I'm scanning the crowd. I notice there's a guy in the crowd dressed like Count Dracula for some reason. That was a little bit strange. And Goldust hits a sloppy DDT for a two count. Marty does manage to get back on some offense, hitting a back elbow for a two count, three clotheslines, a snap mare, and goes for the fish drop off the top rope, but runs right into a boot. Goldust then picks him up in a suplex, but drops him face first for a three count in a shit match with a shit return and a shit debut. Nothing special here whatsoever. um, Unless you want to see the curiosity of Goldust's first entrance, don't bother watching this. We then get the match of both pay-per-views that I was by far most looking forward to, Mabel up against Zuna. No, no, I'm just kidding. I did seriously consider giving Gorilla Monsoon the dick move of the week for booking this shit, but it's only kayfabe, so I'll let him off this time. Mabel comes out to the ring first with Mo, and Mabel's got some of those really small black sunglasses on. He looks like a super fat Morpheus out of the Matrix, so that should tell you what he was looking like at this point in time. Um, and Yoko Zuna comes out looking even fatter than he did two weeks ago. He's really putting on the beef here. Mabel starts us off with a slap, which Yoko then returns the favor on, and they trade some punches. And um, a clothesline on Mabel brings some big ooze from the crowd. We get back in and Mabel starts unloading on Yoko with some punches before diving into another big clothesline for some more ooze from the crowd. They do seem to be impressed with the spectacle, if nothing else. Uh, Mabel hits himself an avalanche before Yoko knocks Mabel down but misses with a leg drop. Um, and he is huge at this point. I know I just said it, but watching him actually go up for that leg, I can't imagine anyone wanting to lay there for that. Mabel then attempts a bulldog, but it's botched really badly. This is a train wreck. And they head to the outside to mercifully end this with a double count-out to huge boos from the crowd. I don't know if they wanted to see more or if it was just the fact that it was a shit finish, but um, they then get back in the ring and hug it out, which is weird. Um, And we go straight to a commercial for The Undertaker saying he'll return at Survivor Series. Hopefully he's not caught up in a feud with these two for long, if at all. We're also told that pay-per-view will be brought to us by Milton uh, Bradley Karate Fighters, which is a real cool throwback. Um, If, like me, you used to rent all the Coliseum videos of the pay-per-views, you'll remember these adverts from your childhood. We then throw to Doc Hendricks in the ring, um, and out comes Dean Douglas. Um, And then Shawn Michaels, who's out to hand over the belt. As already mentioned earlier, this has earned him his dick move of the week. Uh, But before anything can really happen, Dean Douglas just snatches it out of his hands. But this brings out Razor Ramon to start the Intercontinental title match right away. Razor gets straight onto the offence, really going to town on Dean Douglas. As um, Jerry Lawler tells us that Razor was so stupid he even flunked recess and Razor gets onto an arm of the Dean and slows things right down. And while he's got the arm, just begins paint brushing and slapping Dean, really making him look foolish. They end up in the corner, and with the referee trying to separate them, Dean goes over the top of the referee and nails Razor with a cheap shot. And Vince McMahon tells us to put your hands on the referee is very uncool. Dean's on offense for all of about 10 seconds before Razor fires back with the SOS and then cuts him down when he's trying to fight back again um, Being a real arsehole. he's just not letting Dean Douglas get a single move in Razor nails Dean Douglas with a suplex and then pours water on him before hitting an atomic drop Before Dean Douglas finally gets in an off- offensive move reversing a suplex But he goes up for a clothesline off the top which is blocked into a Razor Ramon chokeslam um, Dean got one move and straight back to Razor and Offense, who then hits a discus punch And the super back suplex which is blocked with a cross body for a two count Dean then hits a drop kick but Razor puts his foot on the ropes And Razor fires back with a back suplex and a crappy looking pin with both down Gets a three for Razor Dean did have the slight out, but his legs were under the ropes, but this was really poor form. Um, not only did one click member not drop the belt to Dean Douglas, but the other one comes out and just annihilates him after he's already had a match, like two matches back, so not even that long ago. So even though Sean's already been awarded the Dick Move of the Week, Razor Ramon, you are going to get an honourable mention for helping your click buddy bury Dean Douglas. Now, if you've been listening to the show, you know I'm no Dean Douglas fan, but this was pretty much unnecessary, really burying the guy like this live on pay-per-view. Anyway, enough said about that. We're going to now head over to our main event of the evening, which will be Diesel defending his WWF title up against the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. Before we get there though, we have Brett the Hitman Hart come out for commentary, um, he is obviously going to get the winner of this match at Survivor Series we've talked about already and he's wearing a Hitman hockey jersey with dad jeans and cowboy boots, he looks awful. And we get one more shield from Doc Hendricks of the night, once again trying to sell us the two dudes with Attitude shirt, I get the feeling this wasn't a, back, uh, a big seller for Titan. And a quick promo from Diesel telling us backstage that he's feeling awfully funky, Okay. During the entrances, JR tells us this is gonna be a great match, folks. I doubt it, but fingers crossed. And as Diesel comes out, I do note that he's pretty over here in Canada, so, you know, good on him. The title reign wasn't a big success, but he did still have a lot of fans at this time. The match gets underway, and Diesel goes under the Bulldog with some forearms and a slam, and the British Bulldog attempting to get a hold of the legs, but Diesel pretty much holding him at bay. Diesel then goes into some of his patented corner offense, hitting some big clotheslines, some knees and some elbows, and um, Jim Cornette manages to distract, and the Bulldog does get a hold of the leg. He stays on the leg for a little while before hitting a drop kick on Diesel that sends him over the ropes Um, and as he's going in towards the announce table, Brett sort of tries to stop him from falling onto him which forces Diesel to turn around and pie face the hitman. When he gets back in the ring, Bulldog hits him with a chop block and Brett adjusts his headset, gets back on commentary and basically says, oh, that's what happens in the heat of the battle. Comes off really weak, not saying something about Diesel there to me. In the ring, the British Bulldog puts on a bit of a lazy leg log, just sort of having a sit there. As we get a big Diesel chant, he then attempts a clover leaf, and Jim Cornette gets on Diesel on the outside, and we get a small Bulldog chant, so he does still have some fans in Canada here. Brett tells us that the best part of Diesel to attack is the leg, which the Bulldog's been doing. As we get a flashing sort of um, graphic on the screen to tell us this is the voice of Brett the Hitman Hart, if anyone was completely stupid and didn't know by now. The Bulldog then puts on a half crab for what seems like an eternity with no sign of a tap out, just sort of sitting there again. The match is really slow. He stomps away on Diesel and then hits a leg drop for a two count before going back to his lazy leg lock. You know, just sort of sat there with Diesel's legs between his doing nothing and this is slowing right down. When they do get back up, the Bulldog hits another chop block before putting in the lazy leg lock again. It seems like we've got the match on loop here. And just in case you're not sick of hearing me say it yet, they get back up. Bulldog knocks him back down and locks in a lazy leg lock. That's a hat trick. Diesel powers out of this one by kicking him over the top rope. And then the Bulldog gets back in and puts on a lazy leg lock. We are heading to Hammerlock City here, baby. Diesel reverses a vertical suplex and hits a back suplex of his own as well. The Bulldogs back up, and then points to Brett Hart before locking on a sharpshooter, but falls over attempting it. And Brett tells him on commentary he should learn how to do the move. Once Diesel's back up, he flips off the Hitman and then reverses a slam on the Bulldog and knocks him into Jim Cornette. We have a little bit of a fracas and on the outside the Bulldog nails the Hitman who then immediately jumps in the ring and attacks the Bulldog causing a disqualification. Diesel, not happy with this, comes over and nails the Hitman and the two trade fists. This is a really shit finish to a pretty poor match. Um, Just a lame disqualification ending to end the pay-per-view. This this show, I should say, started off pretty well, but after the first couple of matches, boy, did it nosedive. And we end the show here with a pull apart between the two uh, wrestlers, the Hitman and Diesel, um, obviously setting up the match at Survivor Series next month, but it was a bit of a cold ending and really... The pay-per-view on overall was a little bit of a dud. I was left feeling pretty empty after what was a hot start. And for those of you that don't know, this is the main event in Diesel's title run, where after the show went off the air, Vince McMahon threw down his headset in disgust and declared this was rubbish. Um, so, good moment in history there for the historians. Anyway, that'll do it for the WWF side of things, so... Knowing what we've had here, we're going to head over to WCW and see if the infamous Halloween habit can produce any better results. Let's do it.
2: of Cabo Hall and try to push each other out of a 100-foot diameter circle. First time ever on pay-per-view, Sunday, October 29th from the Joe Lewis Arena. Call your local cable company and tell them you want to be a part of history. You want to be a part of Halloween.
0: Have It comes to us from the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. Our announcers for the evening are Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan and we're open with a little bit of a cheesy video package hyping some of the main events. A bit of a Halloween theme going on before we see footage of Hulk Hogan and the Giant in their respective monster trucks. We're also informed by the announcers off the bat that Brian Pillman and Arne Anderson have attacked Ric Flair off camera, putting in uh, Jeopardy his match teaming with Sting up against a duo that have put him on the shelf once all that's over and done with, we go to our first match of the evening, which is Diamond Dallas Page defending his television title up against Johnny B. Bad. The angle leading up to this is something we've mentioned on the show previously, where DDP had outed himself as having cost Johnny B. Bad his shot at Sting's US title. Um, he let his tyres down, and Johnny B. Bad had only let on that one tyre had been down, and DDP accidentally spilled the beans that all four were down. DDP comes out first with Kimberly in tow and Max Muscle, his bodyguard. Uh, the whole DDP and Kimberly thing gave off a little bit of a macho and Liz vibe, and knowing later on down the track how much of a macho fan DDP is, I'm not surprised by that. And then we see Johnny B. Badd come out with his back to the camera down the aisle, but it's actually all a ruse. It wasn't Johnny B. Badd who enters through the crowd and attacks DDP. He then tosses him out the ring and gets a hold of Max Muscle and delivers my least favourite move in all of wrestling, the double noggin nogger, before they have a little bit of a crowd brawl, and the crowd's getting into this pretty early on to be honest. He throws him into the post before sending him back into the ring and hitting an arm drag and going to work on the arm, which Tony Schiavone calls a full arm drag and twist. No idea what that means. They exchange a couple of leapfrogs before Johnny B Bad hits a hip toss and gets a two count, and then goes in up to the corner for a 10-punch spot before being reversed and dropped into the turnbuckle. DDP hits a nice high backdrop, which Kimberly lifts up the 10 card for. Um, she'd seem a little bit reluctant to do that early on, and they were teasing that maybe she was more into Johnny B. Bad at this point. He then lifts DDP up for what looks like a pile driver but falls face first. Um, On top of him they call it a pancake and that garners a two count before putting in a chin lock. The commentators hype the fact that the original Sheik will be appearing on the show and Tony Schiavone says the man who literally built Soho Hall. I don't think he meant literally. Johnny B Bad fights back with a backslide getting him a 2 count before DDP levels in with a big clothesline for a 2 count of his own. They then exchange some pinning combinations, he getting some 2 counts before DDP hits a power slam for a 2 count. Max Muscle begins running some interference, distracting the referee, helping DDP gain leverage, etc. Before DDP decides to settle in for another chin lock. Bad does fight out of this chin lock with a nice back suplex, followed by an inverted atomic drop. A regular atomic drop, some big boxing style punches, and then a head scissor takedown before hitting him with an axe handle off the top, which Kimberly holds up the 10 card for, showing that she is a little bit into Johnny B. Bad. Johnny B. Bad hits a sit-out powerbomb Batista-style for a two-count before DDP hits him with a diamond dream, which is sort of a a jumping DDT for a two-count of his own. But when he goes for the diamond cutter, it's blocked by Johnny B. Bad, who gets a two-count out of it. DDP rolls out the ring but gets hit by a somersault plancher, which nails both him and Max Muscle on the outside. Before Johnny B. Bad throws him in, it's a springboard splash for a two-count. Drop kicks DDP into Max Muscle on the apron and then rolls him up for another two count as the match starts to really heat up here and the crowd are going along with it as well. Max Muscle tries to interfere again but accidentally clotheslines DDP. Bad then punches Max Muscle and pins DDP for the three count and a new television champion. Um, Decent pop from the crowd here. And new champion is crowned so very good start. Decent open to the pay-per-view. From here the commentary team speculate about the monster trucks and the idea is they're going to be locked together and there's a big circle on the roof and the first truck to push the other truck out of the circle wins but the commentators talk about the possibility of the trucks then not stopping and driving off the roof. Considering they're welded together, I would advise against it. After a little bit of talk about the man vs man, machine versus machine, it's time for our second match which brilliantly features the Zodiac, or does it? Hey, Okay, really it does it's time for zodiac up against the macho man randy savage and yes the zodiac is announced as being from the land of yin and yang and um tony shivani says something that bobby heenan he asked him a question I can't, I can't place what the question was now but Heenan replies with yes no yes and it got a little pop out of me there as well as it as beefcakes coming down the ramp i notice he's got the side of his head shaved with the mullet down the middle um some zebra-looking face paint, and a big cock on his head, so it's quite the ensemble he's got going here. Macho Man then comes out to an okay pop, nothing too great, and goes right on the offence. A fan jumps in the ring, and the referee wrestles him to the ground while Macho Man takes the beefer outside to allow the cameras to get off of that. Um, security then begin to wrestle the intruder that you can sort of faintly still see, and that gets the biggest pop of the night so far. The commentators tell us that it was actually meant to be Kamala in this match, so not sure if I should be happy or sad about that. And then Macho hits the elbow off the top rope for the three count straight away, so we're spared any long Brutus beefcake matches here. After this match, we go backstage to Gene Oakland, who's shilling that Jimmy Hart has been talking to someone he managed in another federation, but I can't talk about this live on the air, so you'll have to call the hotline and pay 5 bucks a minute to listen to who it might be. In comes Johnny B. Badd for a promo about his title win. Um, they talk backwards and forwards about... Seeing each other at the bar, having dinner, blah blah blah, it's not very exciting uh, Before we go to a video of Kirisawa injuring the arm of Road Warrior Hawk This of course leads into our next match which is Road Warrior Hawk up against Kurosawa And they get in the match and start pretty quickly, Hawk hitting a big slam for a two count early on Before going to some chops and Kirisawa fights back going onto Hawk's arm The match is just really a series of high impact moves including a power bomb, uh, big slams, a top rope elbow attempt, a backdrop and a Samoan drop before Colonel Parker holds the legs of Rogue Warrior Hawk for a three count in pretty short order. Bit of a late match really, there's nothing much to note about this one, more of a storyline match than anything. We then go backstage to Gene Oakland again for another interview, and really this one can't be described, so I'm going to play it for you very quickly right here.
2: I've got a man that is pacing the floor. The Macho Man, Randy Savage. I heard what you said about me a few days ago, yeah.
0: My curiosity
2: is killing me just like a cat would be killed. By the curiosity, yeah. I'm your friend. And I don't think that you can separate business from friendship. And you know
1: what? Your
2: mustache is crooked. Your beard is a little sideways, too. Don't you think I have a little bit of interest right there? I'm a bigger man. How did we get into this?
1: Because of
2: the fact the line in the sand. That's not my nature. But I don't want to get into that. Okay, man. I think friendships, is. friendships. Businesses, business. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Right there is one of the many reasons why I'll always love the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Anyway, going up to our next match, it's Sabu up against Mr. JL, a match we saw previously on Nitro, which was one of the better TV matches I've seen. Um, looking forward to seeing what they can do on pay-per-view. When they do get to the ring, the match gets us underway. Pretty hot and heavy, JL hitting an Enzigori that knocks Sabu to the outside, but then he really badly botches a baseball slide into his a head scissor takedown before Sabu flies high, taking out JL and the Sheik. Just a huge dive, but then he crashes and burns on a dive off the stairs afterwards. JL ducks, and it's just too fast for him to keep up with all the action. JL then hits a dive of his own off the turnbuckles to the outside uh, before Sabu misses a moonsault, and JL hits half a moonsault. He then hits a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count, but misses in the corner, allowing Sabu to do his flipping split springboard leg drop for a two-count. JL fires back with a German suplex for a two-count of his own before botching a a victory roll just as badly as the one on Nitro a few weeks back. JL hits a spinning dropkick, which sends Sabu to the outside, but it doesn't last there long. And back inside, he hits a springboard moonsault for a three-count in a match that was just way too short. These guys can go. Um, Right after the pin, the Sheik on the outside lights up and throws a fireball into the face of JL, which the cameraman didn't appear to know was coming because he only just caught it. Bobby Heenan really covers for him on commentary, talking about it and selling it big time. Uh, Tony Schiavone just chats on like nothing important's happened. Idiot. And when they're showing some of the replays of the springboards and the dives, Bobby Heenan with the line of the night says, don't try this at home on your ironing board. It won't work. We then go back up to the commentary table where they chat about the Giant and they just keep referring to him as Andre's son. Bobby Heenan saying, don't you know how far back I go with his father? It's really sickening. I wish they wouldn't do this. But then uh, we get something delightful again as we get a promo from the master and Kevin Sullivan. Uh, the total eclipse of us of the sun around our world was a standout line. They talk about the giant and the insurance policy, the yeti, how they're going to destroy Hulkamania. And I just write on my notes, holy fucking balls, I love this stuff. It is awesome. We then get an awkward promo backstage with Hulk Hogan and Gene Oakland giving away a Harley to a fan. Just a really lame segment and Hogan just went from sort of cheesy promo to giveaway mode and in and out and it it didn't work at all. We then head back to the ring and we go to a match I wasn't really looking forward to. Meng up against Lex Luger. Uh, Meng comes out dressed like the Lone Ranger again with Kevin Sullivan. As the camera pans over the entranceway showing one of the graves in in the stage has Crockett written on it. That was interesting. Um, Tony Schiavone speculates about Lex Luger being in the Dungeon of Doom Um, That was sort of a storyline at the time Was he with them? Was he going to turn heel? And Lex gets on Meng nice and early, hits a slingshot Before Meng fires back with the small package for a two count And Lex Luger clotheslines Meng to the outside It's at this point I realise they seem to have really given up on that disqualification rule going over the top Which I always thought was stupid anyway On the outside, Lex throws Meng's arm into the post a couple of times and drapes it over the rope as well, Um, but on the way back in, when he goes to work on the arm on the inside, he changes arms. He goes up for a back suplex, but Meng reverses it and gets himself a two count, and the action's pretty slow here, if I'm being honest. Meng does get on offense for a while, hitting a nice shoulder breaker, Um, and Kevin Sullivan... He's on the outside and he's red and yellow, the colours he'd stolen off Hulk Hogan, and he really looks like your dad dressing as Flash Gordon for Halloween, which, considering this is Halloween Havoc, is rather appropriate. Meng hits delayed pile driver for a two count, and I comment on how much weight he's put on in a couple of years since his WWF run. He's not really fat, but he's gotten he has gotten fatter, but he's not massively fat. He's just really thick, but he's filled out a lot since he was tagging with the Barbarian in the early 90s. We then get a long chin lock before Lex fires back out, hitting a crossbody for a two-count. And Meng fires back with another back suplex for a two-count of his own. Meng then tosses Luger out of the ring. And Kevin Solomon's talking to him, but we don't really hear on camera what he's saying. Back in the ring, Lex nails two clotheslines on Meng, which he no-sells. But then Lex fires up and hits a third, which he does sell. We get a backdrop, a couple more clotheslines and a power slam before Meng pulls out the golden spike, nailing Luger with it, going for the pin. The referee didn't see it. And Kevin Sullivan jumps in the ring and just taps Lex Luger, causing Lex Luger to win by disqualification despite the fact that Meng had him beat. Um, A bit of a strange ending here, uh, insinuating that Lex is in fact joining the Dungeon of Doom. After the match, we go back to a Gene Oakland interview with the Giant. Pretty standard fare, nothing to note here. Before we go up to our next match, which is Arne Anderson and Brian Pillman, supposedly up against Ric Flair and Sting, but they had taken out Ric Flair earlier in the night, so Sting comes out and goes solo against them. Early in the match, Sting is sort of competing with both the guys as we get huge Flair chance. The crowd are dying for Flair to come out. Sting's unloading with punches and clotheslines and a bulldog, really taking the fight to both of them. And Arne Anderson has his pants pulled up to ridiculous levels, um, obviously hiding that beer cut at this stage. But once your tights have to go above your belly button, I think it's time to call it a day. Tony Schiavone is praising the heart and the work rate of Sting. Bobby Heenan finally has enough and says, oh, shut up, what have you two co-signed on a house together? Which was pretty funny. Uh, Sting hits a big press slam on Pillman before Arne comes in and hits a really cool Stinger Splash on Arn while Pillman was trying to climb up the rope, so effectively taking them both out. The Heels eventually do get on offense and take over on Sting, and out comes Ric Flair in his street clothes and gets on the corner waiting for the tag. The heel stay on offense for a while though, tossing him in and out of the ring, into the rail, uh, tagging in and out and taking turns on him with the crowd going ballistic, wanting Flair to get in the ring. It's at this point that I'm starting to smell a heel turn here. He's not touched anyone. He's been there for a while. The crowd's going nuts. You can just sort of see it coming. Arn Anderson hits a spine buster for a two count, and then we have some great camera mic work, really picks up on Sting, begging to get to Flair, and Flair egging him on to come and make the tag, just really captured the emotion of the moment there quite well, eventually Sting does cause just enough separation to get the tag to Ric Flair, big hot tag, crowd go wild, Flair gets in the ring, and attacks Sting. They beat him up for a while, three-on-one, as the referee calls off the match. And on their way back up the aisle, Gene Oakland calls it the most disgusting thing he's ever seen and speculates about the fact that they're putting the four horsemen back together. Backstage, we go to an interview with Lex Luger, who basically says he's going to beat the Macho Man and then take the title off the Hulkster. Nothing too great here. Before we go into a hype video for the giant Hulk Hogan, and it shows just how stupid this whole angle has been. Tony Schiavone steps out of the booth momentarily, so Eric Bischoff and Bob Chandler can come in to talk about the trucks. Bob Chandler was a bit of a monster truck expert I gathered here uh, with Heenan, and they talk about the rules, how they're going to be welded together, etc., it's then up to the roof of Coho, uh, Soho Hall, I believe it was, uh, for the monster truck battle. And it's really lame and boring. Basically, they just show cameras inside of the guys pulling faces. Hogan looks constipated. And it's been basically two trucks joined together. One goes forward while the other goes back. Then they stop and go the other way. Um, I'm no motor vehicle expert, but I don't think this is really feasible, that it would just be back forward, back forward. I think once you gain traction, you would pretty much win. Bobby Heenan lies through his teeth on commentary when he says this is exciting, and then Hulk Hogan does win by pushing the Giants truck out of the circle. By the way, for the record, the Giants truck, Dungeon of Doom style, did look way better than the Hulk Hogan truck, which looked a bit shit. And no, I wasn't surprised that Hogan won the monster truck battle, because even behind the vehicle, he's not going to job to anybody now, is he? Outside the trucks, a giant chases Hogan towards the edge of the building, um, then gets him in a double-handed chokehold, and Hogan's sort of backed up onto the ledge of the building. Instead of the giant just giving him a shove and knocking him over, the giant decides to climb up on the ledge next to him in the chokehold, which Hulk Hogan then breaks, and in doing so, accidentally knocks the giant off the top of a building. Um, Hogan acts like he tried to save him, then runs off for help, and we speculate that the giant may be dead. Interesting way of selling your main event. But no less, don't worry about it. We've got a match to go to. It's time for the Macho Man, Randy Savage versus Lex Luger. So yes, if someone falls off a building, the best thing you can do is go on to the next match. Lex is very aggressive early on and stomps and pummels the Macho Man, and Tony Schiavone is again speculating that Lex is part of the Dungeon of Doom. Um, Jimmy Hart's at ringside. I didn't actually see who he came out with, but I found it odd that his main squeeze in meal ticket as Gorilla Monsoon would say he's probably about to go down for murder, and he's out here watching the Macho Man take on the Lex Express. Macho keeps trying to fight out but Lex stays on offense for a while and all Bobby Heenan can do on commentary is beg for updates on the Giant because this is, after all, his good friend Andre's son. Macho finally does get some separation and he sends Lex to the rail and the steel stairs on the outside uh, twice each before going up top for the axe handle which Lex reverses with the big punch to the gut. Jimmy Hart's then up on the apron and I can smell a swerve coming. Lex Luger tries for the cheating pin with his legs on the ropes, but the referee is distracted with Jimmy Hart And then Macho Man sends Lex Luger into Jimmy Hart, goes up top, nails his elbow for the 1-2-3 in a bit of a weird match I don't really know what they were trying to achieve here Um, And the commentators tell us that Michael Buffer's on his way out uh, for the main event Bobby Heenan storms off the set momentarily to try and find an update, but comes pretty much straight back With all that having happened Michael Buffer comes down to the ring and it's time for him to introduce our main event
2: Ladies and gentlemen, good evening, and welcome to the 1995 WCW Halloween Havoc here in the Joe Louis Arena in the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan. This is the featured match of the evening, sanctioned by the WCW and the Michigan State Athletic Commission for the Heavyweight Championship of the world coming to the ring at this time let's welcome the challenger he's from the dungeon of doom and weighs 450 pounds oh no ladies and gentlemen wait a minute there's been a change coming to the ring at this time is the champion Six feet seven, 275 pounds, the king of Hulk mania, the man known as the Hulkster, the heavyweight, champion of the world, Hulk Hogan! There's only one Hulk Hogan, and he comes to the ring, and I guarantee you, over his career. He has never felt the way he feels right now. Something something tragic has happened, Tony. Oh no, 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 please. Hold on. Hogan, hang on a second. Hogan's got the microphone. You know something, brothers? What just happened out there wasn't supposed to go down, man. I didn't want the Giant to take the plunge, brother. That's a long way down to the parking lot. And I apologize. There was a terrible accident out there in the Giant, as far as I know, brother, after the accident when I saw him last.
1: Oh, Tom, Ladies and
2: gentlemen, the Challenger has arrived! From the dungeon of doom with his manager, the taskmaster. He's risen from the dead. The rumble is talking Are you ready?
0: Further ado, it's the match that we all came to see. It's the man versus man portion of man versus man and machine versus machine. Hulk Hogan defending his WCW heavyweight title up against the debuting Giant. Hogan does look a little bit naff in his all-black outfit with cowboy boots at the bottom. And he's got Kevin Sullivan's face paint on as well, so he's looking a little bit of an extra tit tonight. The Giants no-sell some of Hulk's punches early on. In a typical Hulk Hogan movie, goes for a slam in the first minute. Uh, This drives me insane. Uh, Then This allows the Giant to take over, and he goes on offense with some kicks and strikes. He's not got a lot in his arsenal just yet, and he is playing the Giant card that Hogan loves to go against. He's got some huge chops in here as well, and Hulk is looking pretty skinny um, next to the Giant. But then again, the Giant's looking pretty skinny, um, considering what he would become later on as the Big Show as well. So they're both in their leaner years here, shall we say. The match takes us to a test of strength pretty quickly in the usual Hogan fair um, where the Giant's in control Then Hulk fires up, uh, but the Giant does fire back with an elbow and a slam, staying in control, misses the Hogan-esque leg drop, and Hulk pops up and no-sells all the beatdown, another typical Hogan move, which I just can't stand. He then begins to ram the Giant's head into the buckle, hits a 10-punch, a bite because he's evil now, and some back rakes, so that's pretty much the extent of ducks Side Hogan, a bite and some back rakes. He close lines the Giant to the outside where he then hits a double noggin knocker with him and Kevin Sullivan. So continuing my interest in the match here before sending Giant back in for an eye rake and gets out of the way of a choke slam, but the Giant does hit a backbreaker for a two count. Giant then locks in a bear hug, and when I say bear hug, I mean a long bear hug. Um, Hogan does fight out of this one, but he's slammed again, and the giant puts in A bear hug. Hogan fights out again before the Giant enters him into a third bear hug, and we're reaching Bobby Eaton hammerlock territory here now. Speaking of which, the quote of the night, bar none, comes from Bobby Heenan here where he says you're not seeing a lot of moves like you would with an Eddie Guerrero or Sabu. Touché, Bobby. Touché. Once Hogan gets out of this third bear hug, he walks into a choke slam. Uh, A one, a two, and no, pops up like a cunt. In all honesty, I can't be the only person in the world that wonders why anyone ever bothers to use a finishing move on Hulk Hogan. It's a complete waste of time. Hulk's doing his uh, Hulk up routine, and he can't even walk properly at this stage in his career. He just looks like a shaking geriatric, so it's really fucking stupid. Anyway, he goes into his usual routine afterwards, nailing three punches on the giant, whipping him in and hitting him with a big boot, which just barely grazes the giant's right tit. Giant gets back up and Hogan hits him with the big high spot of the mu- of the match, the slam, which the crowd goes mild for. I go even less than that. He hits the leg drop and Jimmy Hart gets in and nails the referee from behind, or he gets on the apron and nails him from behind. The Giant looks up and realises what exactly is going on and re- then realises, sorry, that he's meant to be selling, so he immediately drops back down. A bit of an amateur move there. Hogan gets uh, Jimmy Hart gets in and then he hits Hogan with the belt. So, cementing Jimmy Hart's heel turn here, and what does the Giant decide to do with the referee down and Hogan in a weakened state? He puts him in a bear hug. Lex Luger and the Macho Man come down to help the three on one attack with Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan now in on Hogan. Um, but before they can do anything, stop the presses because Sullivan, my son, it's time for the motherfucking Yeti! The moment we've all been waiting for, and I pop big time. <laughs>
2: They're going to finish off Hulkamania! Here comes Luger and Savage! Wait a minute! And the Yeti! Look at the size of that man! Luger! Look at Luger! Luger stomping Savage! Jimmy Harris and Luger's corner all on! And Hogan is still in the clutches of the Giant! Those big massive arms are still wrapped around Hulk Hogan. What in the hell is going on? And who is on whose side? You are seeing the end of Hulk Hogan. It was a good career. You had a great run. But it's over. It is over. The Yeti is taller than a giant. Look at the size of the Yeti. Is that a head he's got or a stump? Look at the size of this man. He's gonna be 7 feet 8. Lex Luger! Hogan up! And the torture yeah, you better get an envelope to see Hogan on. Jimmy Hart, Lex Luger, they've all turned their back on the world champion! Oh, the they ref- have seen the light! They've seen the light! The referee is down, so this match is still, basically still going on. We've not heard a bell. Hogan is down. The torture rack. You will never see a pay-per-view like this again. You can bet on that. The macho man, probably the gutsiest man in this sport, face down. no Hogan, the heavyweight champion of the world, laid out. And there stands the giant. What's happened? The referee is the giant is the winner. Now wait a minute. The belt cannot change hands on a disqualification. And the Giants got the belt! Ladies and gentlemen, the Giant wins by disqualification, but the belt cannot change hands on disqualification. There's been a disqualification. Hulk Hogan is still the World Heavyweight Champion. Jimmy Hart embraces Lex Luger. Oh, they hurt. embrace Kevin Sullivan. This is absolutely, positively sick. Well, warm up the bedpan.
0: Hogan's going to the hospital! The benefit of those of you that haven't seen this angle, while Giant has Hogan in the bear hug, the Yeti comes out, which is a man, as you heard there, taller than the Giant, dressed like a mummy and puts his arms forward like a zombie-style walk across Hogan and the Giant and begins to dry hump Hogan in the arse. During all this happening and the Lex heel turn on Macho that you heard about there as well, the crowd pelt the ring with garbage and boo heavily. Not so much because it's the heels, but I think because this is just total bullshit. But I hate to say it, if I were there, I'd be cheering. We're told that the Giant will actually win by DQ because Jimmy Hart, Hogan's manager, interfered and Michael Buffett makes it painstakingly clear twice on the microphone that the title can't change hands on disqualification. So, again, I smell that something's up there. My biggest question of the night, though, when I was watching this was how did Hulk Hogan agree to this? He had to have known that this was going to make him look like a fool. Surely, I know he loves to battle the Giants, but you're talking Andre, Bundy, Earthquake, those kind of guys. Not a seven foot six mummy called a Yeti breaking out of ice. This was bad even for Hogan levels of stupidity. But it is what it is, and that brings us to the end of the pay-per-view. So you know what time it is now. It's time to pick ourselves a winner, and this should be a good one. Crowd heat for this one, I'm going to go with a tie. Um, Neither crowd got much to sink their teeth into, despite the fact that both tried to get some chance going. There was, you know, a few ups, but a lot of downs, and it made for a bit of a lame crowd on both shows, to be honest. Production value, I'm oddly going for the WWF. Um, Their pay-per-view show just seemed to be a little bit cleaner and crisper than Halloween Havoc. I think Halloween Havoc seemed like a big step backwards from Nitro because it seemed like the same sort of production and sets and, you know, videos and entrance packages that had been used in years gone by, whereas Nitro seemed a lot cleaner and newer. So WWF just edges this uh, category here. When it comes to match quality, I'm going for a tie again. each had two okay undercard matches and just put shit from then on. Um, both main events sucked. Um, if you bought the show for the main event, you'd be disappointed no matter which show you'd bought. And both featured good wrestlers having disappointing matches. So Razor Ramon on the WWF side of things and Marty Jannetty. Um, and on the WCW side of things, Macho Man and Cebu and JL wasn't what it could have been either. So then we come to the categories that I think we will really sink our teeth into for this one. The first one being storylines. Um... I have to go with the WWF just because they kept it simple and focused on simple stories, titles, fe- feuds, things like that. No Yetis breaking out of icebergs, despite the fact that he didn't look like a Yeti. He looked like a mummy. At least get your myths right here, guys. Um, but yeah, it just it didn't work at all. And that brings us to our last category, which is characters. And for the exact same reason, I'm going to go with the WWF because they didn't feature a Yeti. Um, Also, I guess the WWF characters like the Bulldog and Bret Hart, um, they came across as serious, credible challenges for the title. And in WCW, Macho Man and Lex Luger have just both been relegated to Hulk Hogan lackeys in recent weeks. And anything outside of Hulk Hogan just doesn't seem important, which is disappointing. Overall though, whilst I'm down on the shows I have to say that I enjoyed reviewing both of them I found Great White North I think I've seen it once before as a kid But the 1995 pay-per-views And the In Your House in particular Were hard to come by in the video stores When I was a child So they're the ones I've not seen as much of Um, But I did enjoy watching it It's a good nostalgia trip And it had a lot of my favourites on it And Halloween Havoc I'd actually never seen before But it's something I'd always look forward to reviewing Um, I I get pumped for the goofiness If you can't tell that And I did really enjoy this show as well So whilst the match quality wasn't great The wrestling wasn't great And the storylines were diabolical I had fun And really that's what's important So that'll do it for Spooky Episode 13 uh, Halloween Havoc and Great White North in the bag We'll go back to Raw and Nitro now And we're going to continue down this format Of all the Raw's and Nitro's for the month Then the pay-per-views It's going to lead to a few shows out of order But it's the easiest way I can see to review And make it sort of an easy-to-follow timeline for everyone. Um, As always, any feedback, please do hit me up on Twitter or now on Facebook um, and check us out on Twitter, Facebook and on 4CR as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening and I will hopefully catch you at the weekend for another show Um, depending on how things go with the football. It's obviously been an enjoyable week if you support the blue side of Manchester. That'll do it. Thank you very much and catch you next time.
3: Shoot the lights out, hide till it's bright out. Oh, just Just another lonely night. Are you willing to sacrifice your life? Bitch, (laughs) I'm a monster, no good blood sucker. Fat motherfucker, I look who's in trouble As you run through my jungles, all you hear is rumbles Kanye West samples, here's one for example Gossip, gossip, nigga just stop it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert Profit, profit, nigga I get it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'ma need to see your fucking hands the best living or dead, hands down, huh? Let's talk more here, right now, huh? And my eyes more red than the devil is. And I'm about to take it to another level, bitch. Down who you gonna yeah. get? Ain't nobody cold as this. Do the rap and the track. Triple, double, no assist. And my only focus is staying on some bogus shit. Arguing with my older bitch, acting like I owe a shit. I heard the beat, the same raps to get a track pain. Bought the chain that always give me back pain. Fucking up my money, so yeah, I had to act same. Shy nigga, but these hoes. Love my accent she came up to me and said This the number two dad. If you wanna make it number one You're number two now Face that goose in Malibu I call it Malibu, yeah God damn easy I would hit him with a new laugh Know that motherfucker Well, what you gonna do now? Whatever I wanna do Gosh, it's cool now Now I'm gonna do I nice, ass now Do you motherfucker Really, really need to cool out? Cause you'll never get on top of this So mommy's best advice is just to get on top of this Have you ever had sex with a pharaoh? I put the pussy in a sarcophagus Now she claiming that I bruise a esophagus Head of the class and she just want to a shit. I'm living in the future so the presence is my past My presence is a present, kiss my ass Gossip, gossip, nigga just stop it Everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster I'm gonna need to see your fucking hands at the concert, I'ma concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I'm gonna need to see your fucking hands at the concert Profit, profit, nigga I got it Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster I'm gonna need to see your fucking hands at the concert I'm gonna need to see your fucking hands. Sasquatch, Godzilla, King Kong, Loch Ness, Goblin, Ghoul, a zombie with no conscience Question, what do these things all have in common? Everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster Conquer, stop ya, you, stop your silly nonsense, nonsense None of you niggas know where the swamp is None of you niggas have seen the carnage that I've seen I still hear fiends, scream in my dreams Murder, murder, and black convertibles, ah Kill a block, I murder the avenues, ah Raping pillage of village women and children Everybody wanna know what my Achilles' hill is Love, I don't get enough of it All I get is these vampires and bloodsuckers All I see is these niggas I made millionaires Milling about, spilling their feelings in the air All I see is these fake fucks with no fangs Trying to draw blood from my ice-cold veins I smell a massacre Seems to be the only way to back you back God yeah, yeah. Nigga, just stop it. Everybody know I'm a
1: motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your fucking
3: hands at the concert. Profit, profit, nigga, I get it. Everybody know I'm a motherfucking monster. I'ma need to see your fucking hands at the concert. I'ma need to see your
1: fucking
4: hands. Pull up in a monster automobile gangster With a bad bitch that came from Sri Lanka Yeah, I'm in a tanker, color a Willy Wonka You could be the king, but watch the queen come. Okay, first things first, I'll eat your brain Then I'ma start rocking gold teeth and fangs Cause that's what a motherfucking monster do Heardress up from Milan, that's the monster do. Monster just be heel, that's the monster show Young money is the roster and a monster crow And I'm all up, all up, all up in the bank